Today we're gonna to take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, and I wanna show you something in this passage that I think is going to surprise you in a really good way. So we're gonna jump right in and just kinda of go section by section through this. If you're reading along, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So first question we want to ask in this passage is, who is I? If I, is he referring to, to me, I? <laughs> He's referring to himself, Paul. Paul is saying, if I could do this. And that's interesting because a couple uh, chapters before, in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, and you, speaking to the church in Corinth, the audience of this passage, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So immediately we get to, if I, if Paul, this person who I'm supposed to imitate, if he could do all of these incredible things, but didn't have love, he would have nothing. Well, that's a pretty powerful statement. In his commentary, uh, Richard Hayes pointed out that Paul seems to be condemning maybe two different things here in this first section. One would be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. If I had this amazing spiritual gift, if I had insider knowledge into what God is doing, if I gave away everything I have, if I did all of these incredible things but did not have love, I would be missing the point. Now, I don't know about you, but doing these things sounds amazing. It's possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons. It's possible to be kind, not in an effort to actually be kind and build someone up, but primarily for people to think that you're kind. Oftentimes our motivations are kind of mixed like that. And I think what Paul is getting at is that's missing the point of what love is and what love is supposed to be. The second thing that Hayes points out that Paul seems to be condemning is lacking love in certain areas of life. It's possible uh, to love well in certain areas and lack love in another. And really this side of eternity, we will all be growing in this area. And then in the first section, he dives into this particular thing around speaking in all the languages of earth and of angels. Now I'm not gonna do a dive today into what that is, uh, but this was a gift that the Corinthian church seemed to be elevating and wanting and elevating above other gifts. And so I think what it does for us, because Paul uh, in chapter 12 uh, goes on into this metaphor of the body and how the body is made up of many parts, but we need all the different parts of the body. And the premise is that the gifts of the church that are given by the Holy Spirit are meant for the mutual edification or building up of the church. And so what Paul seems to be getting at is that you have elevated this gift above all the other gifts, and that is missing the point. So Paul here begins with this gift that you think is the biggest, greatest spiritual gift. If you can do that, let's say you can speak in all the languages of the earth and of angels. Let's say that you can do it, but you do not have love. You are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, and I think Paul's question to us today, um, depending on your background, might be, what if you could do that speaking in tongues thing? But for others of us, we view another gift as like the primary gift. For some of us, in our traditions, we think preaching is the biggest gift or leading worship or some public facing gift. I can lead a small group great or I'm a great evangelizer. So what if you can lead a small group in a beautiful way? Uh, so what if you can share the gospel in a way that is super compelling? So what if you do not have love? I think Paul uh, would get at 
it's like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, the truth is our motivations are often mixed, and so it's not quite as clear-cut as that sometimes it's out of love and not out of love at the same time. And this image of noisy gong or clanging cymbal is, is fascinating. Richard Hayes points out in his commentary, and I'm quoting here, since the term chalkos or bronze is never used elsewhere to refer to musical instrument, some scholars have proposed that Paul's phrase refers to bronze acoustic vases that were used in the theater to echo and amplify the voices of the actors. It's fascinating. And then the clanging symbol was particularly associated with the cult, noted for its wild ecstatic worship practices. Thus, Paul's point in verse 1 might be paraphrased as follows. Even if you can, speak with the heavenly language of angels, but have no love, your high-toned speech has become like the empty echo of an actor's speech or the noise of frenzied pagan worship. This is forceful imagery. So what? If you have this spiritual gift that you elevate over every other spiritual gift, if you do not have love, then you at best are like an actor or doing what everybody else can do without love. You're missing the point. And then he goes on to talk about prophecy and faith and this, these other things. And in chapter 14, verse 1, Paul encourages people, you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the gift to prophesy. So if you have the gift that you elevate, or if you have the gift that I want you to desire, either of those, but you do not have love, you are missing the point. I hope you're getting it, getting at this. Spiritual gifts are not the end-all, be-all. What Paul is saying is bigger than all of those things, and more important is love. So what is love? Paul uses some metaphors later to basically say that uh, right now I see in a mirror dimly, but one day we will see him face to face. In other words, I can't fully be able to articulate it to you because I, I don't fully see it or understand it. But we do see some things that Paul says love is and some things that love isn't. We see two things that love is and then eight that love isn't. Love is patient and kind. Elsewhere, these words are used to describe God. A patient uh, is an interesting word because we use patience to both refer to uh, waiting well, and to someone who's in a hospital, a patient. And it's related to the word compassion, which means to suffer with. And as Henry Nouwen pointed out in his book, Compassion, that he wrote along with a few other people, it is impossible to be compassionate while you are impatient. Because what is impatience if not wishing that you were somewhere that you're not? Being stuck in traffic and wishing you weren't in traffic, having a child who was crying and wishing that they weren't crying, being in a period of immense pain and grief and all you're doing is just wishing that you weren't there. How can you enter into that pain of another person being compassionate if you are impatient, if you're not able to be present in the moment? And that God is kind. He is good-hearted towards, towards people. Next, Paul goes into a list of eight negative things. And this is the part that I think was so surprising to me. Richard Hayes points out that much of this language is used elsewhere to describe what the church in Corinth is doing. Some of the language is more explicit than others, but in almost every single one of these words, Paul is making a point to say that the way that you are behaving and acting is not loving. He is not only calling them out for what they're doing wrong, but he's calling them up into a deeper ethic of love. So he says love is not envious, and this is in contrast to the Corinthians having this rivalry in, that we note in chapter 3, verse 3 where they are aligning themselves to a particular teacher, some saying they follow Apollos, and some saying they follow Peter, and others Paul. And Paul is saying the gospel is not a popularity contest. Love is not envious, because 
God's love, there, there is more than enough to go around and our faith isn't ultimately based upon some leader or political party or person or pastor or preacher. Our faith is centered around the person of Jesus. Love is not envious. Secondly, he says love is not boastful. And he reprimands the church in Corinth for boasting elsewhere in chapter 1, verse 29 to 31, and a couple other places as well. Though here he uses a different Greek word. But love is not boastful, needing to boast in our accomplishments or in the good things that we've done. Why? Your accomplishments don't earn you love. Love doesn't need to be boastful. Because the love that you have is not based on what you've done or haven't done. The love that you have is based on who God is, that God is love and he is loving. And for God so loved the world, it was based on your accomplishments. It would merit understanding that you could lose it if you didn't do well enough or do good enough. And many of us, my friends, struggle to find our worth in our accomplishments. I base my value and my worth on how much of my goals I accomplish in a given year. Did I succeed in the things that I sought out to succeed? Did I get the relationship that I wanted? Do I make the money that I want? Do I have the job that I want? Am I making the impact that I want? Love is not boastful because it doesn't need to, because it's secure. I don't need to boast to prove anything to you. And you don't need to prove anything to me. You are loved. Furthermore, love is not proud. And this seems pretty similar, right? But a more literal translation of this word would be love is not puffed up. This is precisely the word that Paul uses in chapter 4, verse 6, chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, and 5, 2, and particularly in 8, 1. Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. Uh, And Paul here is diving into a conflict that the church was experiencing where uh, Jewish Christians were saying that you can't eat this meat that has been sacrificed to idols, and non-Jewish Christians were saying, no, it's fine, you can. And Paul here makes a point. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Or knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And note this verse. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in being right about a particular thing that may not even matter that we miss the point of love. So what if you have the right knowledge on some particular theological issue if you are hateful? It is possible to have the right beliefs about things and actually be serving the devil's purpose. As James says, even the demons believe and shudder. It's possible to quote scripture and know the Bible and use it in a wrong sort of way, as the devil did when tempting Jesus. I I, I think we often get so caught up in our faith being predominantly about having these intellectual beliefs right beliefs right. And Paul is very concerned with our intellectual beliefs and what we think about God. That's very important. We note this elsewhere in chapter 15 where he dives into the issue of the resurrection of Jesus. But sometimes we get more committed to being right than we are to in encouraging one another, building up one another in love. Love is not puffed up. Love builds up another. It's not based on me and focused on me and me feeling right and more elevated, but it's actually about building up one another. Paul also goes on to say love is not rude, which Richard Hayes points out. This refers to a stronger word concerning shameful behavior. And in chapters uh, 5 through 7, Paul deals with the issue of sex. And this word is kind of pops up in places uh, like that. The only explicit use of it is in 736. But Paul says love is not that. You don't have to try to find love based on what you do with your body. You don't have to try to find love based on what someone thinks of your body. You are loved. (laughs) 
and that we operate out of love to strengthen one another up, not use each other for just our personal gratification to fulfill our sinful desires. Furthermore, love is not self-seeking. We see this tie back to chapter 10, verse 24. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. In Paul's own self-description elsewhere, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Love is not self-seeking. And this one is very hard because a lot of our understandings of, of love have to do with me going out to get love, something that I receive. I want to feel love. I want to get love. I want to find love. The English Standard Version translates this as, love does not insist on its own way. And this is counter to our culture of individualism and a culture of being formed by romantic comedies when it comes to love, that love is this feeling that I get. And love certainly pertains to feelings as it pertains to actions, but it's, it's more than feelings. You, you see, when you seek someone else to make you feel better, to get this love from them, over time, that actually can leave you worried that someone else will be looking for someone better too. Because what happens when the feelings die down? What happens when they wear off? The ironic part of having a type of what you call love that is self-seeking is actually that it's not love and leads to you not being able to fully experience love because love is not self-seeking. Love seeks the benefit of others. The next two phrases are harder to relate to 1 Corinthians, but it says that love is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. And this is probably seen in contrast to the rivalry and dissensions of the Corinthians church. And then the last one, that it does not rejoice in wrongdoing or injustice, but rejoices in the truth. This probably refers to where the Corinthians practice taking one another to court unjustly and rejoicing in the truth and God's way of righteous living. And Hayes points out that, that love is the criterion by which we should assess all that we do. And he goes on to make a very clear point. Having said that, love keeping no record of wrongs and not rejoicing in wrongdoing does not mean that we don't call out injustice. In fact, Paul's own calling out of the church in Corinth throughout the book of 1 Corinthians and then again in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 ought to signify that. But love doesn't only call out, it calls up. Uh, love calls people to live into a different sort of ethic that's not based on me being right and me proving you wrong, but is actually aimed at the strengthening and the building up of one another. And when there are things within the church and within our lives that are tearing us down, sometimes, oftentimes, if not all the time, those things need to be called out in the name of Jesus so that we can be called up into the level of operating out of love. The love that rejoices in truth may also require us, this is from Hayes, to speak hard truth at times to those whom we love. So what is our place in this metaphor of love? Paul gives us three sort of images. One is that of a child. One is that of seeing imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. And one is that of partial and incomplete seeing, but then seeing completely. Basic image is that God alone is the one who knows and who sees in full. That we need to be more committed to God than we are to being right. That we need to be more committed to love than we are to getting people to understand that we're the ones who are right about everything. And newsflash, you're not. I'm not. I'm wrong about a number of things. Probably things I've said here. So the good news of this passage uh, is not just like uh, things that you ought to do and things that you aren't doing and how you're failing at it. Though I think that's part of it. I, I'm not loving the way I should, the way I ought to. The good news is that Jesus is all of these things. Jesus is patient with me when I don't deserve it. He is patient. He is kind. He operates in a loving way. Why? Because that's who he is. And the reason I'm able to love and the reason any of us are able to love is we love because he first loved us. I believe that's 1 John chapter 4. Jesus is not rude or arrogant. Jesus is kind-hearted. 
Jesus wants what's best for us. He loves us. And the good news about God's love for us is it's not based on what party we align to. Uh, it's not based on uh, how attractive we are or are not. It's not based on our accomplishment. It's not based on our intellect. It's not uh, based on really any of the things that we have done to earn it. God loving us is not something we earn. It's just based on who he is. God is love. And when we talk about 1 Corinthians 13, what I want us to understand is that Jesus reorients all of our understandings of love and invites us to love others in accordance with that. That we love because he first loved us. I don't have to boast about it. I don't have to be arrogant about it. I don't have to be rude about it. Why? Because it has no need to be any of those things because it's secure. And so I, I sense perhaps, Stephen, as I, as I wrap up this YouTube message, that there are some listening, whenever you are listening, that have been harmed uh, by faulty images of love. Perhaps you've been harmed by that of a parent or a father or a mother in their love. Perhaps of a relationship or uh, someone who used you just for your body. And I just get a sense that God wants to heal you. He wants to heal your wounding. And he's not sitting over here angry with you for not believing, but it's like a, it's like a tender father wanting you to understand that he desperately loves you. And so I hope you hear the tender whisper of the father of like, my love for you is patient. My love for you is kind. I'm not holding over your wrongdoing. Like repent of your sins and bring them to me. But like, as when he is gracious to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that when we are forgiven of our sins, we're told that, uh, I believe it's in the Psalms, that he removes our iniquities from us as far as the east is from the west. So my prayer for you, just as we close, is that the Lord would heal these broken, hurting places in your life and that you would have patience with yourself because that healing journey will take place over a lifetime. You won't fully understand God's love. It's too great to understand fully, but I pray over the course of your life, as I'm in Ephesians chapter 3, I believe, that you will begin to understand more and more of God's love and that His roots will go down deep in your hearts as you grow in intimacy with Him. I pray that the Lord heals those places in your heart. And he can. So if that's you, take some time and bring that before God and see what he does. May God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Go in peace. Hey, thanks for watching the service. We pray that it blessed you and helped you grow closer to God. If you are in the Nashville area, we'd love for you to join us sometime. If you're not in the Nashville area, we'd love to help you get connected with the local church if you don't already have one. But we pray that God blesses you this week and that he grows you closer in your relationship with him and with your community, that he uses you in a powerful way to be a vessel of his good news in everywhere that you go. May God bless you.